Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. Welcome back and thanks for kicking your week off with the Monday edition of Locked On Bears, your daily Chicago Bears podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Now, I don't know about you guys, I don't know how you spent your weekend, maybe you had a nice barbecue with the family, if you live in a place with nice weather, maybe you got to, you know, took the kids out somewhere fun, I don't know about you, but I spent a good portion of my free time this weekend looking back over the film of the Bears preseason game against the Denver Broncos to really get a feel for a lot of the players on the 90-man roster that we've been waiting to see. You know, we know a lot about what the returning guys can do. We know what Josh Sitton is. We know what Akeem Hicks is. But what we don't know is, you know, what exactly Deion Sims is. Certainly what Mike Glennon is and a, a number of players across this roster. So I went through every play, offense, defense, special teams, and I, I have a lot to get through here. I took a lot of notes on everything I saw. And so because there was so much that I went through and I have pages and pages of notes here, I'm going to have to split this up into two shows. That wasn't my original plan, but I know there's going to be a lot to get through here and I'm not going to be able to fit it all in our usual Lockdown Bears time slot. So today is going to be a look at the offense. Tomorrow we'll get to the defense and the special teams and we'll get you some never-heard-before nuggets here on the Lockdown Bears podcast preseason analysis that I don't think you can find anywhere else. I challenge you to find somewhere else where we get this level of depth of preseason Chicago Bears football talk. It can't be done. I hope you'll stick with me here through both shows and learn a lot about the team that you and I both watched intently on Thursday night. If I go too fast or or glaze over anything, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at CoxSports1, or you can reach out to the show at LockedOnBears and let me know if there's anything I missed, anything else you were wondering, or anything I need to clarify a little bit that I may have uh, gone too quickly through here on the show. But let's get right in here. Let's talk about Bears-Broncos. I know I talked about some of the big picture stuff on Friday after the show or after the game had happened, but now I've had a chance to really go through and and watch these guys a a second time at my own speed instead of just going off the broadcast. And let's start with that first quarterback, Mike Glennon. I don't want to belabor the points too eased to you know too strongly here because we talked about his struggles on Friday but there were definitely too many predetermined throws and I thought that was going to be more of an issue with Mitchell Trubisky and we'll get to him in a little bit here but there were a lot of plays where he seemed to know pre-snap where he was going to throw the ball he'd snap it stare down that side of the field and you know throw the ball either inaccurately or one of his two completions or something like that And there were a lot of opportunities where he missed open wide receivers running routes elsewhere on the field. And I want to stress that 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 isn't always his fault. A lot of times there are plays that are simply designed to go one way, and he just has to execute what Dowell Loggins calls in his headset and, you know, what what all the receivers are going to run. So, like, I understand if they're running slants to one side, you know, he knows 
that that's where he's going to go with the ball. He's either going to throw it to the flat running back or he's going to throw it to the wide receiver on the slant. And maybe if the guy on the backside is running a post route, he's never going to look there because that's not what the play call is designed for him to do. But there were a few other plays where he, you know, if he had read the coverage and truly memorized and knew exactly what routes everyone was running, he would know, he or he should have known that someone was going to be open. So like, uh, off the top of my head, there was one play where he had Cameron Meredith running deep on the right side, Kevin White running deep on the left side, or other way around, Meredith left, White right. They're just both running straight, deep, nine routes. And Kendall Wright's in the slot, and he doesn't, or maybe it was Deion Sims runs the route, and they're just doing an in route across the middle. And it's man coverage, it's cover one, but they send a blitz, so there's just one single deep safety, everyone else is in man coverage, and you've got five people rushing the quarterback. He snaps it looks right just to get the safety off and then immediately just chucks it up for Cam and Meredith one-on-one. He threw that deep ball down the left sideline, you might remember. And, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a bad pass at all, and Meredith got two hands on it, and defensive back made a, a nice play on the ball. But I, I don't remember if it was Wright or Sims was really w- pretty wide open underneath, and they were past the first down marker, and he just missed that opportunity because pre-snap, he could tell what the coverage was. The Denver Broncos very rarely disguised the coverages in terms of moving their safeties around or dropping a guy that you didn't think was going to be in coverage or anything like that. It was very vanilla and very clear pre-snap quite a bit of the time what coverage they were going to be in, and that was the case on this play. They showed blitz. They brought blitz. They had a single deep safety. They kept a single deep safety. They showed man coverage when he brought the receiver in motion. They stayed in man coverage. It wasn't as though they surprised him. He knew he knew exactly what the coverage was going to be. The coverage was what he thought it would be, but he decided that you know, knowing that he would have Meredith one on one on the outside and White one on one on the outside, that he'd look to White and then throw it up over top to Meredith. But he had time in the pocket, even though there was a blitz coming, and he could have, had he not determined that role, read that he had a favorable matchup with a linebacker on. And I, again, I don't remember if it was Wright or Sims. I I don't remember the play exactly off the top of my head, but. He had the open guy underneath and ultimately threw up a more difficult pass to complete. Didn't quite put enough on it, and Meredith had to slow down a little bit, which allowed the cornerback to catch up and make a play on the ball. Wasn't a horrible pass or dangerous, really, in any way, but just sort of the little things that you want a veteran quarterback to have a better understanding of and to be able to better execute and better process very quickly because, as I'm going to get to with Mitch Trubisky, there was a, a big difference there and a really surprising effort put in that direction by the rookie quarterback. But before I move on to Trubisky, I want to move on to Mark Sanchez. Just briefly, he played like something like eight snaps in the game. I mean, it wasn't a lot of Mark Sanchez either because Trubisky came in with that two-minute drill. But I was actually impressed with Mark Sanchez, and I didn't think I would ever say that on Lockdown Bears. It's not as though he was a you know starting quality quarterback or anything like that, but he was actually better than I expected. And like to be honest with you, I think he was more accurate than Mike Glennon in that game. I don't know if that's necessarily something to count on or bet will continue in the future. But, you know, some of Glennon's passes had some pretty poor placement on them and some went over their heads and stuff like that. But Sanchez put a lot of balls where they needed to be. He threw a few away. And he had actually two passes dropped by tight ends, one by Daniel Brown and one by Adam Shaheen. And both of those are catches. I think you see a little bit more praise for Matt, Mark Sanchez today. Well, and, and this past weekend, really, just for, for a, a solid performance. He looked like a number two quarterback. He wasn't, he wasn't better than Mitch Trubisky, which I'm going to get to next, but he, I, I was expecting him to come out there and noodle arm it and put passes in the dirt and really look just 
I was expecting generally bad quarterback play, and it was exceedingly average. And that was a, a pleasant surprise for me and I, a guy that I'm more confident in now than I was before Thursday. But I'd like to see how he continues to play in the next preseason game, as with all of these guys. And uh, again, I want to preface, because I haven't yet, that I'm basing this, this is my evaluations from the Denver Broncos game. So Mike Glennon attempted 10 passes, but had two of them nullified by penalty. So eight passes went on the record. And Mark Sanchez attempted like six or seven. I didn't look at his stat line. And, you know, so this is a limited uh, sample size for a lot of these guys, especially as we go on here. And I'll talk a little bit more later on in the show about some of the sample size stuff when I get into some snap count stuff, when I look at guys that didn't play as much as you thought they might and guys who played longer than you think they might have. But, you know, you have to keep in mind that just because this is what these players showed in one game doesn't mean that that is what Mike Glennon will be in the regular season or that is how these players will play in the next game against the Arizona Cardinals. I'm just uh, passing along what the tape showed me from this particular game, and I hope that we as smart football fans don't put too much stock into preseason performance. But it's worth noting the good and the bad as things to look for in future performances to then have a, a, a larger sample size of things to potentially expect for the future. And that brings me to rookie quarterback Mitchell Trubisky. And as much as... I mean, I again, incredibly impressed by his performance. His placement on balls was just really phenomenal for a rookie quarterback. And actually, he he read a lot more coverages than I thought. Like when he came in on that two-minute drill, because they were going so fast, it seemed to me like he was he had a lot of those predetermined throws. But when I went back and watched it and slowed it down, there are a lot of those plays where he, he snaps the ball, looks middle of the field to determine the coverage, and then glances left and then looks right and finds his throw. And when that's going live, sometimes it's hard to see the little twitches of the helmet when you have the broadcast view and you're watching the offensive line and you're watching the pass rushers and you know you you can't watch everything at once in a broadcast game. And a lot of those throws on the first, even that two minute drill, and then later on were full field reads. And they, you know they turn into half field reads when he reads the coverage and then picks the side of the field to go to next in his progression. Usually you go middle of the field and then you're one and you're two and you're three. And a lot of those ones and twos and threes were on the right side. And that's something that I, I wanted to point out too, is that he, the majority of the time he was looking to the right side of the field. And actually, as, as, I, as much as I, I got on Mike Glennon for missing some open receivers downfield and just not seeing them, that was the same for Mitch Trubisky. And then I guess the point there is that one of them is a rookie quarterback and one of them has been in the NFL since 2013 and has started 18 games in this league. So that's why it's a little bit more of a big deal for a Mike Glennon than a Mitch Trubisky. But again, both of their first games in this offense in the Chicago Bears uniform in Soldier Field, I'm going to give them a little bit of a benefit of the doubt in that department. But again, just something for Mitch Trubisky to keep improving on. Uh, you know, I know Glennon and or John Fox and Ryan Pace have both given quotes about how all you know as well as, well as Trubisky played, we're going to look for things to improve improve with him. And another thing for him too is is some of his pocket movement. You know, he moves very well. He runs, he's really fast and mobile, and that's a huge asset for a young quarterback and for any quarterback. But sometimes he did unnecessary movements in the, I mean, and not just the 360 degree spin move in open space with no one around him on that one play where he rolled left and looked downfield and then did that pirouette spin and then took off. But even, you know, on a drop back, he'll take his five step drop and then plant. And then he'll, he'll, he'll act like he feels pressure on one side and usually drifted right but there was nothing there to actually force him to drift right and what that does is it changes the leverage for your offensive lineman where if the offensive lineman 
uh, they all block as though you're in the center of the pocket. And so when you start drifting to the right, the guys on your right side then don't realize that he is more to that right. So, you know, your pass rushers are going to take more of an outside angle and they're going to be able to get to the quarterback. And same thing for guys on the opposite side. When the quarterback starts to drift away, they know they can turn a corner more and go around the backside of the, the left tackle and then chase the quarterback from behind. So it puts your offensive lineman in a more difficult position to pass block when you start drifting unnecessarily. Of course, he did a great job of, you know, getting rid of or getting out of a pocket that had a lot of pressure. But towards the end of the game, he started to think there was more pressure than there was and it could have done better and needs to continue to do better at, you know, not getting too happy with his feet and just staying in the pocket and only moving when he absolutely has to when an offensive lineman actually does lose their block rather than moving himself out of position to make offensive lineman's job more difficult. One of the things the Bears did actually to keep Mitch Trubisky from having any, you know, as many issues with pass protection is, I mean, not only did they do all those rollouts, and I think there was a clear emphasis here to keep Mitchell Trubisky safe, keep him from getting touched by defenders because he's the rookie quarterback, because he is the number two overall pick, but they did a lot of max protect looks for him. And that's where, you know, sometimes it's as many as three extra guys stay in the block. They did that on a couple plays where literally two receivers are running routes and you have two tight ends and a running back pass blocking with your offensive line. Usually what they'll do is just have two extra guys. So there'll be seven blockers and then three guys run routes. But there was a lot more of that with him than either of the other two quarterbacks. And not that it was a frequent occurrence. You know, it's not like an every every other play or even every drive thing. But just, you know, I'd say Trubisky had five to seven of those maybe. And then, you know, your Sanchez's and your Glennon's had like one. And, you know, again, limited sample size. But clearly I think there was more of an effort and just on, on a general snap-to-snap basis, the Bears were more likely to leave even just one guy, a running back or a tight end, in to pass block to help Trubisky to be that sixth blocker just to do whatever they can to keep him upright, which is a, a, an encouraging thing to see that they know how valuable it is to keep him healthy even while he continues to get extended snaps. Moving on to another rookie, Tariq Cohen in the backfield. I mentioned it on the Friday show, but he was definitely as fast as advertised. I was a little bit concerned about there potentially be some issues with him translating to the NFL speed. You know, linebackers at this level are much faster and more disciplined than linebackers at the Division One A FCS level, but he was he was just as quick and explosive as he looked at North Carolina A and T. But one thing I did notice with him is that he left some yards on the field, particularly with his run angles and being able to have that natural feel for what his blockers are doing. I mean, he's a guy that consistently wanted to bounce things to the outside instead of just going upfield and taking the yards. The Bears run a lot of outside zone, those those stretch runs towards the sideline where your running back heads to the sideline and then makes that one cut upfield. And he was a guy that it was a little bit too hesitant to make that cut upfield. And a lot of times he would wait too long to make that cut. And so if he had stayed right along the butts of his blockers and, and you know, worked off of them more directly and more physically, he could have, you know, gotten farther upfield before contact was initiated with the linebackers, but because he'd kind of stay back and wait for the blocks to develop a little bit too long, he would then start his move upfield once linebackers were even a little bit closer to him. And I think there were a handful of runs where he left two or three yards on the field, where if he would have just gone for the yards right away, he would have picked up a couple more, but rather he waited potentially for the chance of being able to either bounce something way outside or catch a defender over pursuing which he did, uh, I think, once, maybe twice in the game. But 
you know, that's overshadowed, or I guess that overshadows the, you know, eight or nine other runs where he waited for those potential opportunities and didn't get them and ultimately didn't get as many yards as he could on the play. And there's some give and take there, but that's part of what makes Jordan Howard so good is that he is so good at reading blockers and taking the absolute perfect angle to slip in between two guys right as the gap closes and get there right before the linebacker can get there and can't get tackled. And that's something you're going to see Cohen have to improve on as he gets you know more experienced. But certainly those are the kind of things you expect a rookie running back to have to work on. It was the same thing for Josh Rounds and even at times Kadeem Carey and Benny Cunningham. It's something all running backs are working on. So it's not a it's not something I'm concerned about with Tariq Cohen, but it's just something I'm pointing out that he can still improve on. And now, insurance-minded speeches from GEICO. It's a common expression, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. However, what if the horse's mouth is filled with useful insurance tools? This is the exact case with the GEICO app. Yes, the app is free and therefore a gift horse. However, look inside the app and behold, emergency roadside assistance, digital ID cards, bill pay. Get the GEICO app, look it in the mouth, get amazing services. Thank you. Deion Sims came into this game and played about how I expected, and I, I my expectations were low. So I think if you know to to the fans that are excited about the potential of him as a blocker, I think he was was about as expected in terms of some inconsistencies there. I mean, he was a guy you know you know at the tight end you're blocking on the edge quite a bit, and when he'd come up against slot cornerbacks or safeties coming down to the edge, he did just fine and could move him out of the way and open things up for the running backs, but. There were a lot of times he was blocking outside linebackers on the edge, and they were stronger than him, had better leverage than him, and they could really set the edge and force the running back to cut based on his block. He wasn't really getting much movement, and certainly same thing against defensive linemen. I think he still is an overrated blocker as a tight end, and it's not as though he's losing every block to linebackers as defensive linemen, but very, very up and down there, maybe slightly more down than up, but there were still some encouraging plays there, but it's not as though he is a dominant blocker at by any stretch of the word. I don't think he I don't think you could describe his performance against Denver in that way at all. Really some a lot like I said, a lot of up and downs for him, not not standing out as a true game changer in that regard. A lot of same similar question marks about a a guy like Adam Shaheen in this game. It was definitely his welcome to the NFL moment over and over again and even he talked about how I don't remember if his quote was that it was a wake-up call or a slap in the face but one of those cliches you know he was just kind of okay as a blocker but he dropped a couple passes and fell down quite a few times and kind of struggled to separate from NFL linebackers and I talked about that on my first training camp observation show I believe it was after I'd gone to training camp on that Sunday I talked about how he looked a little bit slow in and out of his breaks on some of the short area drills just running around cones and I talked about how that could potentially be some somehow down the line an issue with separating because he you know he has long speed if he hits some momentum in that forty yard dash speed he has for a for a guy that size but he doesn't have as much of that three cone speed that change of direction in a short area without slowing down it was easier for even backup linebackers to you know stay with him pretty tightly in coverage and even get physical with him he wasn't this big body enforcer as much as I thought he'd be. He wasn't using his hands very well and even using his shoulders and his elbows much. He was kind of letting guys grab him and pull him around a a little bit. Again, not enough for them to draw flags, but enough that he needs to push back and create separation that way because you know the six foot seven kid isn't going to outrun 
a lot of people on the field, but he's just going to be bigger and stronger and supposedly have better hands. But again, those drop passes come in, and I'd, I'd like to see him get more physical. And another thing where it's a rookie, it's his first game, this is what you would expect from him. And th- there's no reason to be concerned that he can't improve this and be you know, as great of a pro as they think he can be. I don't know how much I can say the same about another guy, Kevin White. And again, I'm not trying, I'm not going to raise the full red flag. I'm not going to throw out the B-U-S-T word, but eh, not not a very encouraging game against the Denver Broncos. He played 19 snaps, which is, you know, average for starter. That's not, the number of snaps isn't a big deal. He only ran eight routes, which again, victim of the play calling. He ran run blocked 11 times, ran eight routes. Not not going to read too much into that, but all eight of those routes, he really didn't get open very well. There was there, a lot of, like, a, the problem. part of the problem was he ran a lot of the same route. I mean, for him, a lot of his routes were just the deep route, the nine route, just, you know, go deep and, and you know, wait for him to throw it up, just run a straight line 40 yards downfield. And a lot of times he just gets one-on-one coverage with a with a cornerback in man coverage. And, you know, if Glennon doesn't throw your way, he doesn't throw your way. And it's hard to tell if you really call that open because he didn't blow by anybody. You know, he, the guy's always kind of right there with him. But you kind of hope a, a Kevin White at, you know, 6'3", 220 or whatever he is, if you throw him up a jump ball, you know, he's not going against a cornerback that is as big or as tall or as fast or can jump as high as he is. He can, in theory. So, you know, maybe he you would call that open just because, uh, you know, it's one of those things where if it's a one-on-one battle, he's got the advantage, but he hasn't proven that yet, but maybe he could. But I think the most concerning part about those eight routes was that the the Broncos tried to press him quite a bit on most of those routes, and he really struggled. And you want him to be physical and to use his size. I mean, obviously he's fast, but he wasn't outrunning anybody because they jam at the line of scrimmage, They you know shake him off his release, and then they'd be able to just keep kind of poking him with their hands down the field to keep him from really separating and getting into full stride, and he couldn't body them back. The same thing I talked about with Adam Shaheen, except Adam Shaheen is a rookie from Division Two, and Kevin White is entering his third season in the NFL after playing at West Virginia, and that's, to me, the most concerning part about what I saw from Kevin White, but again, it was eight routes, but you do want to see that progress in just terms of being more physical and saying, you know what, I'm Kevin White, I'm the fastest guy out here, I'm the strongest guy out here, and I'm the biggest guy out here. Just believe that as a wide receiver, and no matter what cornerback you're going against, you say, I'm faster than him, I'm stronger than him, I'm bigger than him, I'm going to get open, and I'm going to catch the ball. And we didn't see that. And and Denver has some very good cornerbacks on their roster, but none of these guys that he went up against are DeAndre Hall-sized 6'2", 215-pound cornerbacks. I mean, you know, they're, they're very talented, but none of them that he faced were these, you know, Vic Fangio-style long physical corners. They were smaller guys that just got in his pads and really kind of pushed him around and didn't allow him to really separate much downfield, and that's that's just a big area you want to see him continue to improve. The one area that I did like from Kevin White, not to be all negative with him, he, he, run, he was pretty good in run blocking and, you know, not dominant, but he did his job pretty consistently and that's not something you see every wide receiver in the NFL do on a on a snap to snap basis like i'm i'm pretty close to calling him the the best run blocking wide receiver on the field that day although again 11 run blocking snaps didn't see much Cameron Meredith didn't see you know all these guys in action but because he's big like a lot of these guys he was able to 
understand where the def- where the defender wanted to go and how he was able to cut them off with leverage and not get just thrown aside. And because he's a little bit bigger, I think you're starting to see some growth in that area, which is which is important. One receiver who did impress me, though, with his route running and his ability to get open was Kendall Wright. I don't have a lot of notes on him. He didn't get much action. I think he caught a pass, but wasn't targeted that much. But he was a guy that he was one of those guys that Mike Glennon missed. That didn't see him that he was open, even when he ran some really nice routes over the middle of the field. He looked pretty sharp. He was their number three wide receiver by a long shot. And I, I liked what I saw out of him. But again, he's a guy that really didn't see much of the ball. One target, one catch, fourteen yards. It was a nice play, but didn't he, he was open on, on a few other plays that was missed and that that doesn't get really picked up anywhere else. And another receiver real quick too that I got to give some props to is Josh Bellamy. And he's the guy that I think I get too caught up in the, look at all the drop passes he had last year. He's a bad wide receiver, but he was the only wide receiver on this team that I saw consistently break press coverage from opposing defensive backs. And he's not, it's not as though he is huge by any means. I mean, he's always been that special teams guy and has been able to play on offense, but Six foot, two hundred and five ish pounds. Never, you know, not not a big body guy, but he did a good job of using his hands and not allowing guys to jam him too much. And he was able to work up and down the field. He was also pretty solid as a blocker. And to me, he's he's a lock on the fifty three man roster. I mean, he was as consistent as ever on special teams. Did a lot of snaps there. The coaching staff obviously likes him quite a bit. The way he's continually involved in the offense, and if he's the only one that's being physical and breaking press and actually blocked pretty well too, like Kevin White. I mean, there's your fifth, sixth, fourth wide receiver on this team. Josh Bellamy, I'm ready to put it in pen. But the Bellamy stuff, generally speaking, it it did raise a question for me and something that has gotten overlooked with the Chicago Bears team heading into training camp in the preseason. They lack big physical receivers. I mean, there was a clear emphasis to add speed this offseason. They added Wheaton and Cruz and Wright, but... When you lose an Alshon Jeffrey, and you know they added Ruben Randall, but now he's on injured reserve, and the kicker competition has begun. That's a whole another conversation. But Ruben Randall had some size at six two, but he didn't play much and got hurt with the hamstring. And now they don't have big physical receivers. And again, Kevin White can be that. And and Josh Bellamy was a guy that played probably as physical as anyone else on the field. And Cameron Meredith is 6'3 and over 200 pounds, but he hasn't necessarily played super physical. He's not as much of a, a body guy, uh, a guy that's going to box a receiver out and win a jump ball as much. He's much more of a, a route runner and a, a quick guy for his size, kind of uses that size-speed combination to get open. But I'm concerned about press coverage against this team because the Broncos did that quite a bit, and it was pretty consistently effective. Like I said, Josh Bellamy was the only one that I think could consistently break it in the game. And I don't know that Kevin White can. He didn't, he wasn't able to in those eight routes run. You know, a guy like Kendall Wright is a small receiver who's never really been great at that, but you can kind of avoid some of that in the slot because he plays so far off the line of scrimmage. And he's, you know, he's kind of able to slip out and same thing with Victor Cruz. But when those guys are up on the line, they can get, they get jammed and they're not able to get that free release and, and use their their quickness and some speed against cornerbacks the way that they've able to, been able to consistently in their careers. Same thing with a Deontay Thompson and, and all these guys really haven't just haven't been able to break press. And if you come against a team like the Broncos that can get up in your face and can press you at the line of scrimmage, 
I think that's part of what hurt Mike Glennon in the first team, and even sometimes Sanchez and Trubisky, is that when the Broncos did press them, which wasn't every snap, it was difficult for the Bears receivers to get open, and I, I'm concerned about how that's going to translate into the regular season as a weakness to this team, or if their speed is going to make up for it and they're going to be able to get guys off and, and release them to be able to run routes downfield with their speed. Last but certainly not least in my tape evaluations of this offense is those big uglies up front, the offensive line. You know, they, the Bears surprised a lot of people when they came out on the first snap with Tom Compton as the starting left guard. It was a move that I was surprised to see, but encouraged to see, and especially after the game continued and we got to see Tom Compton put in a whole game's worth of snaps. I came away pretty darn impressed with what he was able to do at left guard. Not a guy that dominated in pass protection by any stretch of the word. He ultimately played 19 snaps of run blocking and 19 snaps of pass blocking. Some of that was at right tackle. And he got beat a couple times in pass pro, but that was mostly early on when he was still kind of getting his feet wet. And as the game went on at left guard, he seemed to get more comfortable and a little bit you know, more confident in understanding his assignments. And he was phenomenal as a run blocker, I thought. He really did a good job. And that was kind of what he was known for at right tackle. That's why he's played right tackle. It's because that's more known more as the run blocking side, which is more of a, a fallacy and an old school thing than a modern thing anymore. But still, run blocking is solid for him. It, it, and a lot of times his pass protection in one-on-one I thought was fine. But the issue with him where he got beat a lot was with stunts. And he, it was sort of that communication with him and, and Charles Leno on his left and Cody Whitehair on his right. And the Broncos kind of knew going in that there'd be a different left guard there because Kyle Long has been, you know, nursing that ankle injury that he's returning from from surgery this offseason. And they seem to have prepared a lot of stunts. Aimed, I mean, they ran a lot of stunts all game, but they, especially early on, and I guess later on too, it was, it was, I guess it wasn't just an early thing, but a lot of those stunts went at that left side of the Bears' offensive line. They have the guy on the outside there across from Leno, you know, crash inside across Tom Compton's face, so Compton would carry him, and then the defensive tackle that was lined up over white hair will go outside him, and Compton wasn't able to very well communicate or have that sort of non-verbal communication, that instinct to know when to pass someone off and when to take on a stunter. And so the Broncos were able to get a lot of guys free in that B gap between the left tackle and the left guard or in that A gap between the left guard and the center because Compton wasn't able to pass off blocks and pick up blocks the way you would want a starting left guard to do. But for a guy that was just thrown in that position, I thought he performed pretty well. On the other hand, the guys that filled in for them at left tackle and left guard when Compton and Leno came out later on in the game, Bradley Sowell was in at left tackle and Cyber Richardson was in at left guard. And they were pretty darn bad as expected, especially in pass protection. And actually, Richardson looked pretty horrible in both regards. Did not look like a guy that belongs anywhere near a 53-man roster. Not that he was, you know, the worst left guard in the NFL, but really doesn't look cut out for it on this Chicago Bears team. He doesn't move well enough to run their running scheme. And Bradley Sowell, not great in pass protection, not great in run blocking. Wasn't horrible in either, again, but... He, if you if you want this guy to be your top backup, he needs to dominate other backups and be able to potentially fill in as a starter. And both of those guys were pretty bad. Tom Compton and, and William Poles, I think, are both clearly ahead in that rotation. And I think Taylor Boggs might be ahead of both of them just because he was the first one to come in. Well, let me put that. Let me put it this way. Tom Compton was the starter at left guard. But then when Josh Sitton came out, uh, Taylor Boggs came in at right guard. 
and then William Poles eventually came in after that. So I think you're seeing Poles and Compton and Boggs way ahead of so- uh, Bradley Soul and Cyril Richardson in that depth chart. And you know, on the interior with them was Ronis Grassu, the former third round pick, and once again, strength was still an issue for him against bigger defensive linemen. Uh, the, the Broncos had one nose tackle who I think was listed at 347 pounds when I looked him up. I mean, just a big boy, but there were other defensive linemen too that he just couldn't, even with good leverage, he'd get lower than them, but they were just so much bigger and stronger than he was that they could just kind of push him back and he couldn't really anchor and hold his own against them, particularly in you know power blocking situations and down blocks. You know, Grassu is a guy that blocks very well on the move, and that's sort of his advantage there is that when he's going up against a 350-pound guy and the Bears are trying to run to the right side, Grassu is just fast enough to be able to beat the, the defensive lineman to the spot and actually get around him and create that seal with his back for the running back to go around him. And, he did, you know, he doesn't, because they're moving, he's able to sort of anchor on the go and the lineman's not able to generate as much directional power because they're also trying to move to get to the spot. And that's what Grassu does well. But when the Bears ran some power and some counter and he's supposed to down block a guy where there's a guy to your left and you already have the leverage advantage because he's the side that you need him to be on and you just have to get under his pads and push him out of the way to create space for your running back and a pulling blocker to come around your back. And Grassu just could not do it consistently. Play to play, he was getting pushed back towards the blockers and towards the running back, even with a, a clear leverage advantage, both in pad level and in direction he could not hold his own there, and that was a, a pretty big concern for me. That being said, I think right now the the three backups the Bears keep with their five offensive linemen are Tom Compton as the offensive tackle, Taylor Boggs as your guard slash center, and then Grassu as your center, with Compton having the ability to play guard and tackle because Jordan Morgan barely played. His first snap came with five minutes and 55 seconds left in the fourth quarter. It was the Bears' second-to-last drive in the game. When he first came out, he was bad. His first couple of snaps, he got beat pretty bad in pass protection and then was out of place against the run and had bad leverage and was playing sort of bent at the waist, which is a big no-no for offensive linemen. But as they got farther on, especially on that second drive when they got into Mitch Trubisky's final two-minute drill on that comeback drive, he got a lot more comfortable. I think he was... You know, still trying to do too much under the big lights in his first game in the NFL, and I, I give him the benefit of the, the doubt there. But to me, it spoke volumes that they gave all of these other offensive linemen snaps over him. I mean, you look at a guy like, you know, Taylor Boggs comes in and plays 55 snaps. He was the first right. He was he was the first guy off the bench in the right guard spot, and then played backup center for the rest of the game. Bradley Sowell plays 45 snaps as the backup left tackle. Tom Compton played 38 as a starter at left guard and right tackle. These individual numbers aren't that important, but 55, 45, 38, 45 for Grassu, 29 for Cyril Richardson. Jordan Morgan gets the final 15 plays of the game. And, you know, Mitchell Kirsch and do you, jo- do you got Joseph, the two undrafted rookie free agents? They played 10. I mean, those guys are played, I mean, their snap count tells you those guys are cut. Those guys aren't making the 53-man roster. They played 10 snaps at the end of the fourth quarter. And Jordan Morgan played five more and was just happened to be one drive earlier than those two. He played five snaps on that, that penultimate drive and wasn't that great in those five snaps and then plays the final. He plays the rest of the snaps with the guys that are getting cut. I don't know yet if Jordan Morgan is going to make this 53-man roster. Like I said, I think it's Compton Boggs Grassu as of August 14th, but... 53-man rosters don't get cut down for another two-plus weeks. So I'm not going to say Jordan Morgan is cut yet, but 
not a good start for him, especially when you compare him to the rest of these rookies. I compared him to the offensive line there, 15 snaps compared to the 30, 40, 50 plus everyone else got. But Adam Shaheen played more than any other tight end. Uh, a Tariq Cohen didn't actually play all that much because of the because he was essentially a starter when Jordan Morgan came out pretty quickly. But Eddie Jackson played quite a few snaps. I think the most of any safety off the top of my head. Certainly a lot more than Quinton Demps and Adrian Amos. Yeah, he did play the most of any safety. Deion Bush was right up there with him. And of course, Mitch Trubisky playing so many snaps. All of the rookies and most of the second-year guys played a ton of snaps because they're young players that the Bears want to give experience to. And Jordan Morgan comes in for 15 at the end of the game. That's not a good sign for me. If he had come in those 15 snaps and did was the Mitchell Trubisky of the offensive line and blew guys out of the water in the running game and shut down all pass rushers in the pass game, I'd be like, okay, this guy's going to play some more snaps and he'll, he'll be fine. But he, like I said, wasn't great. It was, was bad at first and then pretty average on that last drive because it was a two-minute drill. So, you know, mostly just pass protection there and had a lot of help on double teams. Not a guy that showed me a lot as a guy that's going to make the 53-man roster. And we'll see what the other two preseason games and, of course, the health of the remaining offensive linemen are going to bring. I know I mentioned before that I'm going to bring you some special teams info. I'm going to save that for the defensive portion of my film review here just because I'm already filling up uh, plenty of time here with offensive player talk based on what I was able to see from that Thursday night game. But a couple of snap count things. Guys that hardly played on offense, Zach Miller and Kendall Wright didn't play a lot of snaps. Usually that indicates the Bears have kind of seen what they want from these guys. They're two veterans. I think Kendall Wright is right now pretty firmly entrenched as your number three receiver. And I don't know what that means for Zach Miller. I don't know if that means he's either a goner or he he's safe. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know which one of those two it was. I didn't. 10 snaps was not a lot to get a good feel for him. I don't think he was targeted in the four routes that he ran and didn't really do much in either direction in the six run-blocking snaps that he had. So not can't get a very good feel for him. And Kendall Wright's a guy that I think is taking a big step forward. Guys that played quite a few snaps on offense, Taylor Boggs at center and right guard, William Poles at right guard and right tackle, Deontay Thompson played a lot at wide receiver, and Victor Cruz played a lot at wide receiver. Some guys that clearly the Bears are trying to get a longer look at in that game, and it'll be worth monitoring how much they play. And the and same with Miller and Wright in the coming preseason games. But there you have it for offensive notes and film analysis from what we saw in that first preseason game. A lot of quarterbacks talked there, some tight ends and running backs and wide receivers and offensive line, of course, but... We'll get to the defense on tomorrow's show. Be on the lookout for that. I got some real nice nuggets waiting for me here on some a couple defensive linemen that played really well. Starting to see some some big things from a couple guys that I wasn't expecting to see a lot from. And some concerns with a few individuals in the secondary in particular. We'll also get to the special team stuff at the end of that. A couple guys there that surprised me. Especially one of those guys that played poorly on defense. Did make some plays on special teams. Tanner Gentry made a special teams appearance. There'll be more on that in the next show. And one last thing I want to get you guys before we end the show here. I want to tell you about something that I've been working on for almost a month now, I think, when I first started it. I wanted to put together more of a a, a visual guide for the 2017 Chicago Bears season. So what I did, I put together a Bears season preview guide, and it's absolutely free. 
that was the big key for me. I want to give this away as something to get my fellow Bears fans excited for the season. It's 50 pages of analysis on uh, most of the key players on the roster, guys that are going to make the 53-man roster for the most part and make an impact on this team this year. Little quick blurbs, very visual look at the 2017 Chicago Bears. I tried to remain objective. I didn't get too, you know, fanny or too overcritical. I tried to stay real and be a realist on a lot of the outlook for these players. And I want you guys to download it and check it out. The way I'm, I set this up to be downloaded, it's all through a, a bit.ly link. So if you go to it's bit.ly is bit.ly. And then so bit.ly slash bears2017 preview. That'll, that'll take you to the automatic download link to download this 50-page PDF Bears season preview that I made all by myself. I'm proud of it. I put a lot of work into it, and I hope you guys will enjoy it as much as I enjoyed making it. One thing I want to, to mention with it is that when you look at it on your phone, some of the pictures are a little bit differently sized, and I hope that's not a big deal for you guys. But when you download it on the computer and open it with your PDF reader here, if you have Adobe Reader, all the images are sized perfectly, and it looks really great. Sometimes on the phone, at least on my phone, I have an Android. It doesn't; the pictures don't quite up line up the way they should, but it still looks pretty. It's just some some of the pages are bigger than the other pages, but it still darn looks good. And all of the information in there is still fantastic. I hope you go check it out again. It's bit.ly/bears2017preview. The, the casing doesn't matter there. This isn't a promotional thing. This isn't making me any money. It's completely free. I'm not getting any ad revenue or anything like that. It's just something I wanted to make and something I wanted to put out there for Bears fans. I, I would really love your feedback on it one way or another. If you like the way it's structured, if there's not enough information in there, if it's just it, whatever you think, if, or if you like it, I'd like to hear that too. Again, bit.ly slash Bears 2017 preview. Please go check that out. Download my season preview guide. It's 100% free. It's a safe file. Don't worry about any viruses or anything like that. I, I hope you'll enjoy it, and I hope you'll download it and maybe uh, tell a friend if you like it and, and share it. Because, again, not charging anything for it. Just uh, 50 pages of full-color Chicago Bears analysis. I don't recommend printing it. I think that would take a lot of color ink, and I haven't printed it. It's expensive to print a lot of color pages. But there's some really nice photos in there and some really good analysis. I hope you'll check it out. I hope you'll subscribe to the Lockdown Bears podcast on iTunes if you're not already. Maybe leave us a five-star review while you're there. And, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at CoxSports1. Follow the show at Lockdown Bears. And I hope you'll continue to ride through the season with us on the Lockdown Bears podcast. I've been going at it now, taking over the show for a couple weeks. Been really enjoying it. And I'm glad you guys have stuck with me through it. Been great getting some great feedback from you guys. I'd love to hear more. And I hope you'll tune in tomorrow for my defensive thoughts on the Thursday night preseason game. I didn't intend to split this into two shows, but I started recording all the offensive stuff and I filled up a lot of time real fast. I've got pages and pages of stuff I wanted to get through, got through the offense, and I'm like, oh man, I got to go back and make this two shows. And I hope you learned a lot today and you'll learn a lot tomorrow. I hope you'll come back. And I appreciate you guys listening. I do this for you guys. And again, I hope it gets you through your Monday here and then your Tuesday again tomorrow. I know the beginning of the work week can be tough, but you know what gets us through it. You know what gets us up and gets us to work every Monday morning and Tuesday morning and beyond that. You get in your car, you start driving to work, you get in, you sit down at your desk, and you bear down. <laughs>